We are in Genesis. We are in the 42nd chapter. And, um, well, the 40, we're still in the 41st chapter, and we get to 42 in a, in a few minutes, I think. So, uh, Joseph in leadership, um, he has been elevated, interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, he's been elevated. We're at the inauguration, verses 42 to 45. So, we actually started those verses last week, but I'm going to read them again, and we'll, we'll talk about his inauguration. Okay, so let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for giving us a good day. Uh, Thank you for health and strength, peace and joy. Thank you for the privilege of of knowing you personally through your son Jesus. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, our precious Savior and Lord. Thank you for his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, the forgiveness of our sin, the gift of eternal life. The promise of eternity with you and the promise of the return of Jesus, our Savior, here to this earth. I pray you'll speak to us today in Genesis. Uh, thank you for all that we've learned and experienced in, as we now are entering the last part of the book. I pray that um, you will instruct us through your Spirit, speak to our hearts. Again, I thank you for all who come. Bless each one and their families. And again, use the food to strengthen and nourish our bodies. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, 41, chapter 41, verse 40, uh, verse 42. So here is the inauguration of Joseph. We said last time from the outhouse to the White House, and that is literally what happened from the pit the dungeon of prison in Egypt. He is now being elevated to number two in position and power in what was then the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. Utterly amazing what God has done. And God has a purpose. God has a plan. The farther we go, the more it unfolds. So we're going to see more of it unfold today. Verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath, Paniah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh empowers Joseph, gives him a signet ring off his finger. It bore the name of Pharaoh, would be used on official documents. So it, this, this in and of itself gave Joseph enormous power and responsibility. He clothed him in garments of fine linen worn uh, by official leaders of Egypt. And he put a gold chain around his neck, which would have been seen by Joseph as a personal gift and a symbol of highest distinction. Also a reward for his interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, an interpretation that Pharaoh believes with all his heart is accurate and is about to come to pass, and that's why he is putting Joseph in this position. Understand that if Pharaoh didn't believe what Joseph had said about his dreams, he would not have elevated Joseph 
as a Hebrew slave to the number two position in the country. This is proof positive Pharaoh knows Joseph speaks the truth, and all of this is going to happen just as Joseph said it would. So that's where we left off last time. Joseph rides through town, rides through the country in an ancient limousine of that time. And as he would make his way down a road or into a city, those attending him, those with him would shout, bow down, here comes uh, Joseph, except he wouldn't have said Joseph, they'd have said Zephaniah Panea, and a bow before him, you know, like people do before you when you come into town. They bow, you know. <laughs> now this is uh, this is extraordinary. This is extraordinary. And so when Joseph goes any place, it it is at the streets. People move to the side and and they bow. Have you ever been anywhere? in any of your life when either the president or the vice president came and you saw what happened. It's amazing the extraordinary measures that are taken when there's... So I've had, you know, I've got to see that a few times. And the latest time was last year when I went to Haiti with some other pastors and and I'll be doing that again later this year. Um, uh, President Trump was in Miami getting ready to take off when we landed, when we were getting ready to take off in Miami to come back home. So obviously, he took precedence. Can't imagine that. So our pilot said it won't be long. It'll be about a 10-minute delay. But if you look out your window to the right, you can see, they saw this enormous line of limousines, and if you look to the left, you'll see Air Force One. And so we're, we're trying to look and see. And you know, he was right. I, I, I leaned over to my son and said, 10 minutes, we'll be here at least an hour. Well, in eight minutes, we were taxiing down the runway. You, you see, when the tower is going to give clearance to the president, it happens like that. It's not a long delay, so it, it worked out well for us. But that, you know, coming down the road, here he is, move over, move over. Now, Joseph was told by Pharaoh, nothing happens in Egypt without your approval. It's a lot of power, isn't it? You know what else it is? It's it's an important word that starts with a T. Do you know what that word is? Trust. Trust. Pharaoh can't be with Joseph 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And yet he says to him, nothing will happen in Egypt without your approval. That's an enormous amount of trust. Because if, if Joseph were an evil man, he could do a lot of damage before Pharaoh was able to put a stop to it. But Pharaoh trusted Joseph, and Joseph lived up to that trust as God led him and empowered him. Pharaoh then deliberately, not with malice, but with reason, Pharaoh deliberately tries to Egyptianize Joseph. You notice that? He's already given him Egyptian clothing. He's already clean-shaven. Joseph won't be growing any more beards while he's in this position in in Egypt. Uh, He gives him a new name, and he gives him a wife. 
an Egyptian wife. Zaphonath Pania, the name given to, to, to Joseph, means God speaks and lives. How about that? God speaks and lives. Now that, my friends, is a tribute and a testimony to Joseph's faithfulness to God. His wife is, is an Egyptian aristocrat, the daughter of a priest, the priest of the city of On. That city would become known as Heliopolis, literally means Sun City. We got one of those down the road in Georgetown, Sun City. Tim, if you've ever been to Egypt, then no doubt you've been to Cairo, and this city would then have been located 10 miles northeast of Cairo. And it was the center of the worship of the sun god. That's why it's called Sun City, Heliopolis. So Joseph's father-in-law officiates at pagan worship. It's interesting. Um, her name is Asenath, which means gift of the sun god. Now, I, I discovered something in researching this that I had not known before. A novel written in the first century A.D., which would have been a long time after this, but nevertheless a long time ago, a novel written in the first century A.D. entitled Joseph and Asenath portrays her as a convert to the worship of Yahweh. Now, this is a novel. Don't know for sure if that's true. However, would it surprise you? It wouldn't surprise me. In fact, I believe it. And you look later when we get to the naming of Joseph's children. They don't get Egyptian names. What names do they get? Hebrew names. So uh, I believe that she did become a follower of the one true living God. Uh, I don't know what happened to father-in-law, but I'm guessing... Joseph was not hesitant to share his faith and his beliefs. After all, he is number two. And Pharaoh knows what he believes when he appoints him to that position. And so if Pharaoh was of a mind to say, now I'm going to give you this position, but I don't want to hear any talk about Yahweh, we would know it. He didn't say that. He knew the heart of Joseph He admired the heart of Joseph, trusted the heart of Joseph, and I believe Joseph was free to share um, with his own family and with others. Now, Joseph is surrounded by uh, Egypt at its highest, the zenith of Egyptian power and prosperity. There would have been a strong pull for most men toward allowing himself to be fully Egyptianized. Um, But that didn't happen, as we shall see. Don't know all the feelings that coursed through the heart of Joseph, but we base our understanding upon what we do know, and what we do know is that Joseph stayed absolutely faithful to God. Absolutely faithful. Now, let's, let's talk about planning and storing. So let's look at verse 46. We've observed this already. Joseph was 30 
years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What were you doing when you were 30? This is remarkable. At the age of 30, he is literally the second most powerful man in all the world. That is absolutely remarkable. And who placed him there? Pharaoh or God? God did it. God did it. Now, uh, and it says, And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully, just like God told Joseph it would. Verse 48, Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Remarkable. God said there will be seven years of plenty. And those years of plenty were years of plenty. It was really a prosperous time for Egypt, just as God said it would be. So Joseph stays faithful to God. He knew exactly how long he had to prepare Egypt for what was coming. And how long was that? Seven years. He knew exactly. Well, I didn't have to say, well, it's somewhere between five and ten. No. Seven years is what he knew he had to prepare. So he works at literally a frenetic pace, going from place to place in Egypt, and commanding them to build silos and to find places in which to store the grain. No doubt it meant putting guards in front of that 24-7. And so 20% a year was the amount of grain set aside. So it still left them 80% on which to eat and live and do business. 20% set aside. And so... No doubt he had to build structures in many places. So during these seven years was a time of preparation for the nation of Egypt. Nile, Nile River, Nile agriculture is not and was not based on rainfall in Egypt because there is almost none, almost none. Throughout most of the country, the average rainfall is less than an inch a year. Uh, the Nile flows which direction? South to north. From south to north, purely due to elevation. So the key to the Nile floods and irrigating the land is rainfall to the south primarily in what we know today to be Sudan and other countries to the south of that. So seven good years meant there was plenty of moisture and the good flooding of the fields that occur with that for seven, seven years. So we have set the seven years are very good years. The seven bad years are very bad years.
But Joseph prepared the country because he believed the word of God. Pure and simple, Joseph believed the word of God and acted in obedience. Now, is there a message there for us? Absolutely. To believe the word of God and to act on it. When we believe the word of God and we act on it, then we can trust God to bring to fruition whatever promises he has made. So we trust him. Now, Joseph is at work and something else happens to bless him. And we see that in verse 50, 51 and 52. And what is it? Or what are they? Children. Before Verse 50. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. A lot of memories. Thirteen years in slavery. The mistreatment of his brothers. And he says, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Not that he couldn't remember what his father looked like, but that he, he has moved beyond the pain of what he experienced. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, two boys by his wife, Asenath. Manasseh means he who causes to forget. He who causes to forget. The birth of Manasseh eased the burden of the thoughts of 13 years in slavery. And it eased and erased the pain of family separation. Now, Joseph doesn't yet know how it's going to happen, but Joseph has not forgotten his own dreams. And because of that, in his heart, he believes he will see his family again. How? When? He doesn't know that, but he believes it will happen. And we're about to see it happen. Ephraim, the second child, means fertile. The bounty being experienced by Joseph is in his own household as well as what's going on throughout the land. Now notice, we already alluded to this a moment ago, Joseph gave his boys Hebrew names. And he asserts his ethnic and spiritual origin and continuing commitment to the one true living God. A remarkable man unlike any other except Jesus himself. And Joseph certainly is a picture of a type of Jesus that we see in the book of Genesis. Now let's go to verse 53. We'll finish up uh, this chapter. And we're going to see success and how you measure it. Verse 53. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. 
When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So it was not just a localized famine, it was around the world. Now, the word famine is used five times in these five verses, which indicates to us the severity of the famine. That's why the word is used repeatedly. In in Hebrew, a word used over and over and over again is intended to put emphasis on that word. And so there is emphasis on the fact that there is a severe famine in Egypt. But Egypt was fed, and so were other countries, because Joseph had obeyed God and had come up with a plan, and they had plenty of extra grain, not only for Egypt, but for the world. Uh, Joseph stayed faithful. Now, here are three things I want to say about that. The first is this. Joseph had belief in the greatness of God. Joseph had a firm belief in the greatness of God, and he never wavered. Think about where he had been and where he is now. And it's utterly amazing. The faithfulness of Joseph, his bedrock belief in the greatness of God. I've wondered a few times, and maybe you have too, what would I have done? if what happened to Joseph had happened to me. Betrayed by your family. Taken into slavery. Spending, uh, betrayed by, what's her name? Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. uh, Potiphar's wife, thank you. Um, Put in the prison, put in the dungeon, the pit. Serving a baker and a, Candlestick maker, and a baker and a, and a cupbearer. Um, think of all that. And then the cupbearer forgets you. You got two more years in the pit. And yet Joseph never wavered. He stayed faithful. You know, he's, he's not perfect. He's a sinner just like all of us are sinners. So we don't know what struggles may have gone on in Joseph's heart, but what we do know is the outward result, and that is his faithfulness, his unwavering faithfulness to God. Now, I've asked myself the question, would I have been that faithful? And I, can, and I can't answer it. You can't either because until you're there, you just don't know. You would like to think this is what I will do, but you don't know until you're there. But if you are there now, or you have been, or maybe you will be, what will you do? I hope we'll all have a bedrock dependence on God and that we'll keep our faith and our belief in Him. Now, you're not likely going to be sold into slavery by your siblings. Um, But 
you don't know what's going to happen in the days to come. We don't know what's going to happen. I sure see rumblings. I sure see rumblings. And what is happening in many, many, many other countries around the world uh, is it looks like coming in our direction. Um, persecution and uh, high criticism for faithfulness to Christ. And you just see it. And you know, it, it would only take... It would only take one or two elections that go in a certain direction to cause a lot of things to become a reality right here. Right here. So, for now and for then, be faithful. Be faithful. Joseph also had a belief in God's word as was given to him by God himself and, by, and through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had a firm belief in God's word. God said it, then it's true. And also, God was with him in such a remarkable way. He was with him at the pinnacle, just as he was with him in the pit. Now, which is harder? Well, we would all say, I'd rather be at the pinnacle than in the pit. Yeah, we all understand that. But I wonder if it's really easier to be faithful at the pinnacle or at the pit. You know, just think about it. Have you seen people that, boy, when things are going tough, they call out to God and they cry out to God and then God relieves the situation, blesses in abundance, and all of a sudden the same people who are crying out to God forget God. They, uh, they drop out of church. Uh, they quit praying, quit reading their Bibles. They become very self-sufficient. And, uh, oh, God, yeah, I remember that somebody by that name, you know. So Joseph is so amazing in his consistency, and his faithfulness in the pit was the same faithfulness he had at the pinnacle. So we come to chapter 42, and we find Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt. So let's get started on that, and we'll stop here in a minute. The history of Joseph's brothers, except for Benjamin, is a pretty dismal picture. For instance, Simeon and Levi were guilty of the slaughter of unsuspecting Shechemites back in chapter 34. Reuben committed incest with his father's concubine in chapter 35. All ten brothers participate in some way in the abuse of Joseph, and he was thrown into a pit, and they would have left him there to die if it hadn't been for that caravan of Ishmaelites who happened to come by, happened, happened to come by at just the right moment. Then Judah slept with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. She was disguised as a prostitute. So you look at all this and you get a pretty discouraging picture for the covenant people. This Is this who we're depending upon for the future of our nation? It's a pretty dismal picture. The ten brothers are living, and leaving out Benjamin, the ten brothers are living with the knowledge of what they've done to Joseph. 
And deep in their hearts, they know that they need to repent. But it hadn't happened yet. The famine in Egypt has engulfed the earth. We read that in verse 40, uh, 54 and 57 of the last chapter. Because of Joseph and the movement of God in and through him, Egypt is able to save the world from starvation. So in verses 1 through 5, we have the reason for the coming of Joseph's brothers to Egypt. So let's read those five verses, and probably that will be about it for today. Verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? (laughs) I I have to chuckle at that. I mean, there's no way around (laughs) And he continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. The ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also." The sons of Jacob are doing nothing. Are they depressed? Are they afraid? Their inaction is not helpful. And continued inaction is going to, re- is going to result in the family's starvation. So whatever was going on in their minds, Jacob finally says... Quit just sitting there. Go do something. And he sends them to Egypt because he's heard there's food in Egypt. Now that, you know, that kind of news comes by word of mouth in those days. There was no television, radio, or anything else. Um, It came by word of mouth. So we note the words of Jacob. Do something. Go to Egypt. But Jacob kept the youngest, Benjamin, at home. In Jacob's heart, Benjamin is now his favorite. Why? Second son of Rachel. And in Jacob's heart, he holds his sons responsible for Joseph's apparent death. I say apparent because Jacob thinks he's dead. And so Jacob is not willing to risk Benjamin to their care although Jacob does not know the truth of what happened to Joseph. So Benjamin stays home, and the others begin to make their way toward Egypt. Now, when we come to verse 6, where we'll begin next time, face to face. This, I mean, you know, you, this is, I get, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. All these years... The brothers come into the presence of, of their brother Joseph. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And this moment is like, this is filled with electricity. It's amazing, amazing. So that's where we start. Don't miss it next time. Joseph and his brothers face to face. Most of you have read the story. You know what happens, but it's just as good as it was the first time you read it. So be back next week, and we'll pick up at verse 6. Father, thank you for...
the marvelous way that you work in our lives. Thank you for your divine providence. Thank you for the way that you orchestrate even minute details of history for your name's honor and glory, and we thank you. We marvel at what you did in and through your servant Joseph. We marvel at his belief and commitment and faith and pray that we also would be men and women of incredible faith and belief. We anticipate with eagerness the rest of this story and pray that you'll keep us safe in the palm of your hand until this time next week. Bring us together again for another enjoyable time of fellowship, food, and Bible study. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.